Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. What are some examples of protections? Uh, So a lawsuit for someone getting hurt, a decision or guidance gone wrong, protection against an ex-spouse, just because they want to go after a person. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, there, there are people out there that are just going to go after you for no reason at all too. Um, yeah. And, you, and there's nothing you can do about that really, except. Yeah. I oh. mean, hell, there was a guy who went on a date with a woman. This is an actual true story, an actual true lawsuit. Went on a date with a woman. Uh, they went to see Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And the woman uh according to her texted on her phone a couple of times during the movie he characterized it as she was constantly on her phone uh said something to her probably not in the nicest way she got up and walked out and he sued her for the cost of the date (laughs) so people can sue for anything crazy Wow. That's a good one. Yeah. All right. Let me see if I can find this one from Chi early. Let's see. He said, I have a personal trust. Can I add the liability to my personal trust? I only had a DBA in Massachusetts. Now he's in Virginia. I think those are two different things, right? You'd have to look at that separately. So here's the problem with, so, and and feel free to explain this in more detail. uh, The person that posted this. It was Chi. Okay, so the personal trust is probably not going to be a good idea. Um, Number one, most personal trusts are revocable personal trusts. Revocable personal trusts, the government basically says this trust doesn't exist, right? It's it's like you've taken money from one pocket and put it into another pocket. It's still in your pockets, right? Um, So if it's revocable, uh, that's not really going to provide much benefit to you. Um, and even if it is an irrevocable trust where the benefits start to kick in from a liability protection standpoint, um, assuming you're the one that is in control of it, um, I should have said earlier, but it, it, assuming that it's a, a irrevocable trust, if the business is in the same trust as the as your house, as an example, well, that means the trust owns both, which means that the business could still create liability for the house being taken away, right? It's highly unlikely that your personal trust is an irrevocable trust that it would create that type of protection. But even if that were the case, uh, the business being in in the same trust as other assets kind of creates the liability issues that you would normally have, right? Would they have to find the trust? Like what if the trust had, you? if you found a way to kind of disassociate Disassociate yourself from it. Yeah. So what I would say is there is no such thing as hiding things from anyone. 
right? The sure. things that you do. And if you talk to a good, really good attorney that deals with this type of privacy stuff, uh, what they will, if, if you go in and, um, and say, Hey, I want to, I want to hide my assets or protect my assets from the public, right. From the public knowing about anything, the attorney's initial question will be, uh, the people that you want to hide it from these theoretical people, how many, how many, how much resources do they have? Right. Because there is a level of hiding that you can do when the person is going to spend doing their own time on it. Then there's a level of hiding that you have to do if the person is going to hire a private investigator. Then there's a further level if this is going to be a lawsuit where lawyers are involved, right? So, um, you know, and you get to what a point where if you're talking about hiding it from the United States government, which has <laughs> unlimited resources and reach, there's nothing that can be done, right? <laughs> and so, you know, the trusts are private documents, but that doesn't mean that you can't find them. Right. Uh, very few trusts, um, you know, for example, people will put their house in a trust to hide the fact that they own the house. It it would take me five minutes to find that out. Because, and then you found the whole trust. And then I found the whole trust. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't put your house in the trust. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you know, it's not as simple as you create a trust and you magically hide everything or you magically protect everything, right? Yeah, trust has other purposes. Yeah. So yeah. Chi, did we answer your question? Was there more to it than that? I think that, I think it sounds like that's all there is, but you can tell us if there's something else. Um, so, so Chi had the very basic question of what do you recommend for a coach uh, mm-hmm. who has, makes no more than 10,000 a year in income as a part-timer? Cause that's a, a, probably a chunk of our people, right? That are in this yeah. group. Yeah, what I would say at that point is most likely a, again, you'll want to talk to an attorney, especially if you have a lot of assets to protect. Um, But most likely you, an LLC would be overkill at that point, or an S Corp, mainly because you're not getting any of the other benefits for it. And your money would probably be spent better having an attorney draft good contracts and getting good insurance and other things along those lines. Um, at the same time, when you talk to the attorney about drafting the contract, they may just do the LLC at the same time. Right. So, um, you know, but I, I think it's better to think, let it's better to think about it, not from the perspective of how much money your, uh, your business is making, but more from the perspective of how much money you have elsewhere. Right. There is a correlation between your risk of liability and how much money your business is making, right? The more money that your business makes, the bigger target you look like, right? And the more money your business makes, the more clients you have, which increases your liability, right? However, at the same time, um, you know, if if you're completely poor and you have no money to your name and you're just a horrible financial coach because you spend all the money that you have coming in and you've (laughs) saved nothing, uh, even though you're making, you know, a six-figure income, (laughs) right? And you have no emergency fund. Yeah. If you're in that situation, that unlikely situation, why even have an LLC or an S Corp if you have nothing to protect, even though you're making $100,000 a year? All right. 
Um, so I, I would look at it less from the perspective of how much money you're making as a coach and more from the perspective of what is potential for liability and what type of assets do you have to protect, right? Yeah, and that's essentially the same advice my attorney gave me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the question that didn't get answered at all, of that, which is... <laughs> Well, I guess you kind of did answer it. How do you know when to switch? But you talked, you talked in great detail about what do I do first, but how do you know, like if you hire employees, what's, what's a good, what are some other triggers, I guess? that? Yeah. Hiring employees is, is an automatic trigger for, um, for entity structuring. Right. And the reason why is because that is one of the few areas where the entity actually protects you. Right. Yeah. An entity gives you zero protection if you are a one-person business, zero whatsoever, because a good lawyer will sue both you and the business because you are the financial coach that did it, and you cannot incorporate away personal liability, right? So the second you have an employee, that's when it actually does trigger, oh, now, there are other reasons, maybe tax reasons when you get to a certain level of income that you might do an entity structure, right? But from a liability perspective, it's really when you hire that first employee that the, the real liability protections of, um, of entities kick in, right? Because now you've got a third party, right? This employee that could create liability for you through the business, another question here. If an LLC is not good at this time, are you still able to have the same tax write-offs from or for the business? I think it depends on what you mean by tax write-offs too. I know like yeah. for me, I keep my business expenses in a separate bank account, completely separate bank, and all my business expenses come out of there. So it's not really a write-off, that's a business expense. I mean, it is a write-off, but are you able to have the same tax write-offs? And I'm going to answer this generically, and then I'm going to give a little more nuance to it. Um, and the answer is, uh, it doesn't matter what your entity structure is, your, your business expenses are your business expenses, and that's what your tax write-offs are, right? So the entity structure is almost irrelevant to that um, because you're still going to have the same business expenses. Now, that being said, <laughs> there are certain things that you can write off as a C corporation that you cannot write off as a sole proprietorship or an LLC or even an S corporation. What are they? Um, so one of them is um, uh, what are called, what are colloquially called uh, cafeteria plans. So uh, certain sets of benefits that are, have some tax advantages associated with them fringe benefits that have um, tax advantages associated with them. Uh, but you can't get them um, if you're a sole proprietorship. You can't use them if you're a sole proprietorship. You can't use them. So, And that's why this C corporation can become much more at, at a certain income for the business. The C corporation actually becomes the less tax taxing, right? The, the more tax efficient entity structure. Um, so while you can do all of the same 
things, there are certain things that open up as a C corporation that you wouldn't have if you were not a C corporation. Okay. Certain strategies that become available to you. That might be, might be, you might, might not even be applicable at this yeah. level, right? Yeah, this is something where if you are at the level that that these things start to make sense from a tax perspective, you should be at the level where you have a a financial advisor, a CPA, and you've already talked to a lawyer, right? Because your business is making enough income that it's going to make sense to have those professionals. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of, um, speaking of lawyers, <laughs> do I have to use a lawyer or can I use something like LegalZoom or some oh, online service totally, to set it up? Yeah. You can totally use LegalZoom. I mean, it's, it is, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's nothing stopping you from using LegalZoom. You could also have my five-year-old <laughs> fill out the forms for you. I mean, there's lots you of- You probably, probably get the same accuracy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will say LegalZoom is slightly better at it than my five-year-old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this comes from personal experience. We're not just making fun of LegalZoom. I actually didn't have the best experience with them. So I had, I had to fire them and then get my money back and then do it myself, which was better anyway. And the um the county was actually happy that I didn't do it through LegalZoom because they said that they almost always have issues when they get documents from there. So I think it depends for everybody, but, but yeah, you can look at it. There are certain things that LegalZoom is pretty good at, um, but you have to realize that LegalZoom is a self-directed thing. They will ask you a series of questions. They will, um, and they will give a very generic set of things that are not customized to your needs, not customized to your situation, not customized to your state. Um, and that, that can cause a lot of issues. Um, I will say, so two things with regard to that. Number one, LegalZoom and all services like that, right? Legal Shield, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they have disclaimers that say that you take on full responsibility for these documents failing, right? Uh, and secondly, um, when LegalZoom first came out, uh, I know a lot of estate planning attorneys that were threatened and were upset at LegalZoom and so on and so forth. I have, I know a lot of estate planning attorneys, especially estate planning litigation attorneys um, that are thrilled with LegalZoom because LegalZoom keeps them in business. Mm. Uh, <laughs> when things get, go wrong. Yeah. Litigation attorneys love LegalZoom. Litigation mm. attorneys are the ones that, that defend you or, or uh, represent you in lawsuits, right? Uh, because things go wrong so often with LegalZoom things, they just, yeah, they they do not feel threatened in the least by them. Yeah, I, say, I love LegalZoom. They're they're my best referral source. So take the time and the money. Yeah, like I did, and it sucked yeah. because it was over a thousand dollars. But I'm thrilled that I did that. Yeah, so. I will say LegalZoom can be a good thing for like, um, you know, you. When first starting off, paying for a legal Zoom contract before you have money for an attorney to review it, you know that's going to be better than trying to download something off the internet. So buying it from LegalZoom, getting a first couple of clients, and then 
using a portion of that money from the first couple of clients to hire an attorney, right? A kind of as a stepping stone. Um, sometimes I'll do that with uh, with some of my clients where, you know, an attorney says, oh yeah, the will is going to be, you know, six months or a year or whatever, right? Um, or for whatever reason, they're just not ready to, to have an attorney yet. And so sometimes they'll do estate plan documents um, on legal zoom to have something in place because something is better than nothing. Right. S- but not always. Yeah. Sometimes actually having nothing is better than legal zoom. <laughs> and this, I know this is, I'm talking specifically about estate planning because there's a whole set of laws related to um, the state having a process for people not mm-hmm. having wills. Right. That makes so, sense. Okay, so we had another question come in that was, um, says, do you recommend, so Josh is never going to recommend anything, but do you recommend sole proprietor when starting as a part-time coach? So I'm, I know the answer is going to start with, it depends. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you've got, if you have other mechanisms in place to protect your assets from liability and the level of assets that you have, it makes sense that those mechanisms are there. Yeah, I have no problem with sole proprietor, right? The more assets you have, the more, um, and and the, the more you need to have an, a complete strategy. The, the issue that I have with, um, and, I, and I don't, I'm not throwing shade on, on the person that asked this, but the, the issue that I have with uh, these types of question is that there is a, it can present an underlying assumption that this is the one thing that you need to do. And entity structures should be considered uh, as a part of a comprehensive plan, as one of the tools in the entire toolbox for liability protection. The same thing with um, with entity structures for tax purposes, right? It is, you don't start with the entity structure. You start with a comprehensive tax plan, ideally a multi-decade tax plan that looks at what is the tax liability each year for the next 80 years. And then, what entity structure is going to be best within the context of that comprehensive tax plan, right? Um, and, and so we, so yes, it's not gonna, I'm definitely not gonna recommend a sole proprietor <laughs> starting out. I think that there are many coaches where that would be perfectly fine. There are also many coaches where that would not be in the best interest of themselves and their families. So it, it is going to depend on the situation. Um, I will say if you own a house, if you have a significant amount of money and savings and other significant assets, um, you're starting to get less and less comfortable with entity structure, uh, with, with not having an entity structure. On the other hand, if you have incredibly good insurance that insures you up to million in liability, and that will cover everything related to what you're doing, the entity structure doesn't matter as much. And what kind of insurance are you talking about? Uh, So you would want a combination of general liability insurance, 
A lot of people say, well, I don't have an office. If you are meeting with a client in a Starbucks and someone trips over your computer bag and breaks their hand and they are a neurosurgeon, uh, you, you need general liability insurance. Um, you're, you would also need some form of professional liability insurance. This is often called malpractice or errors and omissions insurance. Um, and uh, cybersecurity insurance because you are dealing with sensitive data. So it's going to be insurance that deals with those areas. Yeah. Okay. I think I have one last question, unless somebody else has any, which is um, so how much time would you expect? It to take to set up uh, a legal entity, an LLC or something else. Okay. Um, what if they already have a client meeting scheduled <laughs> and they need to do this quick? Uh, it's not going to happen by the time you have the client meeting done. That's just not. Uh, you know, great things come to those who wait. To quote the uh, in the uh, eminent Heinz, catch up. Uh, the as we look at setting up any of these things, uh, the faster you do it, the more likely you are to make a mistake. Uh, there is a very good chance that you won't even be able to schedule the time with the attorney before that client meeting happens. And there is a very good chance that uh, your state is going to take longer to get back to you than you expect. Um, so I would expect a window of at least a few months, um, and depending on the complexity of it, it could be a year or more, um, but at least a few months, uh, it doesn't mean that you cancel the client meeting, right? It means that you need to really think about what is my potential liability from this client meeting? What are my protections that I have in place? Right. Not that I think that I have in place, but that I know I have in place after talking with a professional. And uh, how, what assets do I have that are on the line? Right. And as you think about balancing those three things, that's going to really determine what, uh, whether or not you want to uh, keep that client meeting. Um, and there's no right or wrong answer to that. That's a very subjective thing. Um, it's also a matter of your risk tolerance, right? Some people are very, very open to risk. Other people are very, very risk averse. Um, I don't think that you absolutely need to cancel the client meeting though, um, but it is something that you want to say, okay, this, this is something that I want to start working on. Yeah, and I think I mean, there's another question that somebody had in the group once, which I think it's the same answer, which is what if I've been coaching for a while, but I haven't established as a business yet. Should I stop or should I just keep going? I think it's probably the same thing you've been saying, which is look into it and then decide. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be same same criteria, right? Um, what I would say is if you have been coaching for a while, uh, you've got the resources to throw some money at it. And the more money you throw at it, the faster things can get done. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I, it's one of the reasons why many of my clients hire me, uh, for the work that I do it, you know, and many of the clients have told me this, it's, you know, I just don't want to have to deal with it. Right. I know that if I pay you, it gets done and I can just let it go and not worry about it. And I can focus on my business or my profession or whatever else. Same thing for you, right? That if you have a business that's up and running and you're putting and you're bringing in money, 
throw money at it to get it done faster and have hiring a professional that'll get it done right. Yeah. That's, that's a worthwhile expense, especially if you have assets. Okay. Well, that's all the questions that I had. Do you have anything else that you wanted to add? No, I think we're good. And we are yeah, we way went, over time. Way over time. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. Have a good day. All right. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, It also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.